Suppose you come to me and you say, oh, Pastor Brody, I'm so weak. I'm just so, I'm just so weak. I look at my hand, it's, it, it's trembling. And my, my eyesight, it, it's blurred. I, I could barely get my leg out of bed today. I'm just so weak and I don't know what's wrong with me. Man, you look bad. Did you eat today? No, I never eat, except on Sunday mornings when you're preaching. Then I just eat a little bit. What do you suppose is wrong with me? Why do you suppose I'm so sick? Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of Romans chapter 4, we began a look last week at when exactly someone moves from an intellectual ascent of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a saving knowledge. As our example, Pastor Brogy, in a message entitled, The Faith of Father Abraham, examined that point that the Jewish patriarch moved from a state of unrighteousness to one of being a believer. As we pick up, Pastor Brogy looks at the book of Genesis where three angels tell Sarah and Abraham they'll be having a baby boy. And we look at the different reaction Abraham had from his wife, Sarah. There are some of you here today, you're being eaten up on the inside by some kind of challenge that you're facing. And you need to stop and remember, is anything too difficult for God? Is it any wonder that the devil wants to suck the miraculous out of the Bible? It is any wonder that the devil wants to deny the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If the fact of God is real, if the first verse of the Bible is real and it is, then God can do anything. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Of course not. At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. She blurts out the lie through the tent flap. I didn't laugh. And God very compassionately, very gently, very kindly says, no, Sarah, you laughed. Now, she laughed in unbelief. Now, remember, God had said some months before in Genesis 17, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And God comes again a few months later. We're not exactly sure. But a few months later it appears. And uh, he tells her, yeah, you're going to have a baby at this time next year. She laughs. Now she repents, by the way, of her unbelief. Because when the New Testament gives us commentary on her life in Hebrews 11.11, it says, by faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. But at this point, Abraham is the channel of blessing to that family. And by the way, that's a sermon in itself. Sometimes you have a couple, and one is walking by faith, one is believing God, and that person becomes the channel of blessing for the rest of the family, and sometimes brings the other unbelieving spouse along. Now turn over a few more pages to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. There's a third occasion when laughter is associated with Isaac's birth. The appointed time, just as God said, she conceives. And so this uh, 90-year-old woman goes into labor. And we read here in verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Again, the word for laughter. 
Now notice again the great laughter that comes into this house. Verse 5. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Now here the laughter is not in amazement or unbelief, but just in joy. You know, you go into a hospital room and there's a brand new baby and there's smiles on faces and there's joy and there's laughter. Can you imagine the feel of this scene? He's 100, she's 90, people come by their tent, they've got this little precious baby and people are just laughing with excitement and praise and they're hugging each other. Isn't God good? And Isaac, of course, becomes a type, the New Testament says, an illustration, a picture of Christ. Jesus is called the monogene. For God so loved the world, he gave his monogene, his uniquely only begotten son. There's only one person in all the Bible who's called the monogene other than Jesus, and that's Isaac. Because Isaac is the product of a miracle birth. Jesus, of course, in a different way, where God the Holy Spirit comes over the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he's still a miracle baby, and in that sense, he's a picture of what the Lord Jesus is going to do. And so now the laughter is just spontaneous. The house is filled with laughter. And I hope that your homes have laughter in them. That's a healthy home where God's people with their children can laugh. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Verse 7, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now go back to Romans 4. Again, Paul presupposes that we have a handle on the Old Testament text or that you're willing to study it. Back here in Romans 4, verse 18, it says, In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And so Romans 4, 18 and 19, highlighting really primarily Genesis 12 to 15, teaches us that Abraham received God's word. Now, there are people who come here on a Sunday morning who receive God's word. They don't say, this is a lie, this is false, this is heresy. They receive it as true, but they don't always respond. Abraham, as we'll see in a moment, is not yet saved. He's received God's word, but beyond that, he believes God's word. Abraham then believed God's way of salvation. That's verses 19 to 22. Notice verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. From God's point of view, their bodies were as good as dead. Now, many of us, we, we hit obstacles in life, and we let those obstacles rule our life and rule our thinking. But here is a man who, without becoming weak in faith, he thought about his own body, he thought about Sarah's body, and he believed the promise that God had made. Now, by the way, some people will take issue with Paul, and again, that's your problem, not mine. God makes no mistakes in the Bible. They'll say, well, look, he was weak in faith. We know what he and Sarah contrived, and they had, you know, Hagar come into the tent one night, and you know, he, he was weak in faith. No, think your way through it carefully. Initially, he's in Ur of Chaldees. Stephen tells us in Acts 7, and God says, Ah, go to a place that I will show you. 
and he goes, and he ends up in Haran. And again, we don't know why he stopped there. There's nothing that indicates it was disobedience or anything like that. But we know his daddy dies there. And then in Genesis 12, the Bible says when he's in Haran, God comes to him and says, hey, go to the place that I'm going to show you. And he goes, he responds in faith, and he believes this promise that God says, I will make you a great nation. Now, it's clear from Genesis 15, when God restates the promise, that the heir will not be Eleazar of Damascus. In Genesis 15, God says, no, it's not Eleazar. The son of promise, who's going to be the progenitor of Messiah, of many nations, is going to come out of your body, Abraham. And he responds in that. Now, some time goes by, and he and Sarah don't get pregnant, but God said, Abraham, out of your body. So they conclude, oh, God must want to use Hagar in the process. And so he has a relationship, and along comes, of course, Ishmael. But 13 years later, when God clarifies and he narrows the scope, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not Ishmael. That's what you've been thinking. That's what you've been praying about. But it's not Ishmael. It's going to be a boy that you're going to name Laughter, and he's going to come out of Sarah's womb. And so this man responds to what he knows, and his faith is growing like a muscle. Yet, verse 20, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So from the time he was 75, when he believed that God would make him a great nation, from the time God plainly gave the promise at 86 that it would come from his body, from the time he was 99 that it would come not just from his body but from Sarah, he did not waver. He responded to what he knew and he grew strong in faith. He grew strong in faith, notice, giving glory to God. And when you exercise faith, you honor God. Faith honors God and therefore God honors faith. Let me say that again. Faith honors God, and so God honors faith. And when you don't waver in unbelief, when you cling to a promise that God has given, you are honoring the Lord, so we're told. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Where's that quote from? Genesis 15. So in Genesis 12, he responds in faith, but he's not yet saved. It's not until Genesis 15 when God takes him outside of his tent, says, look at the stars of the heavens, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believes God. And in New Testament terminology, we'd say at that moment he was saved or he was born again. You say, well, how do you know that for sure? Well, again, you let the scripture interpret itself. Do you remember what Jesus said about Abraham? He says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. That's Genesis 12 through 17. He rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. That's Genesis 22, when he's up there on Mount Moriah. And God gives him a a dress rehearsal with Isaac. Take your son, your only son, to the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him. And so he's going to do that. And he, he, he witnesses what's going to happen some 2,000 years later on Golgotha. Isaac, he's no little boy. He's probably 18 to 20 years old. The wood is placed on his back. 
and he trudges up that mountain, and Abraham says to his servants before he leaves, we're going, but we are coming back. Abraham says that knowing that he's going to sacrifice his son because he believes that God is going to raise up that son. Now follow carefully. Abraham saw Jesus' day. And again, you let the scriptures interpret scripture. Hold your finger in Romans. Turn over a few pages to the right to the book of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 for a moment. You need to be able to explain this. It will be very, very helpful to you. Galatians chapter 3. Now remember the theme of Galatians, and we looked at this briefly a month ago, but I want to refresh your memory because some of you have already forgotten it. And I realize that the best teacher is repetition. That's what Jesus taught. That's what the apostles modeled. The book of Galatians is a book that deals with sanctification. And the reason they were messed up on their sanctification is because some false teachers were coming in and teaching a different way of justification. And so he is speaking of our great salvation here in Galatians 3. And he says in verse 6, Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You recognize that, hope. Genesis 15, 6. Now look at verse 7, Galatians 3, 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. That is, those who have as the same object of their faith the person Abraham had, those are the children of God. Well, precisely whom did Abraham believe? Look at verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. Did you catch that in verse 8? I hope you have it underlined from our last time the word, the gospel. Now, in every translation in English, it's articular. It is an infinitive, but it's a model of what we call an articular infinitive. The gospel was preached to him, not just good news. Sometimes the word evangelizo, uh, good news, the verb is used just of any good news. Ah, an angel came and gave you some good news. But when the article is used, the good news, it's not talking about just any old good news, but the specific good news. Paul said it in these words. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, unless you didn't have real faith. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did you receive and what did you deliver, Paul? That Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and he was raised. So listen, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And we're told here in Galatians that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. When God said to him, all the nations shall be blessed through you, he not only had received the promise that God gave in Genesis 12, now he believes it and it's reckoned to him as righteousness. He understands the only way for all the nations of the world to be blessed in him is for Messiah to come from his loins. Are you getting it? He believed in the Lord and in a split second of time, it was reckoned, it was credited, it was imputed to him as righteousness. Now, there's another way I know that Abraham understood the gospel. Not only did Jesus say, he saw my day and was glad he jumped for joy. That's the thought behind it. Not only did Paul say he had the gospel preached to him, but Peter tells us something that every prophet understood. And remember Genesis 20 and verse 7 that we looked at a few weeks ago tells us that Abraham was a prophet of God. 
and as a prophet of God, he would have understood that the sacrifices he made were not in and of themselves efficacious, but only that ultimate sacrifice that they pointed to. And that's what Peter tells us when he comes into Cornelius' home and preaches the gospel to his relatives and his friends, and he gives him the plan of salvation, and then he says, and he ordered us to preach to the people. And solemnly to testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as judge of both the living and the dead. Of him, of Christ, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Every prophet, whether it was Abel or Abraham, every prophet of God bore witness of the same testimony. Believe in Messiah and you will be saved. And today, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So he receives the way of salvation. He believes the way of salvation. Then quickly, he models God's way of salvation. Abraham now models God's way of salvation. Notice, Romans 4 does not stop with verse 22. There are three more verses that basically say, these truths are for you and not just for Abraham. Notice, now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sakes also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Jesus became sin for us. He was delivered over for our sin. He paid our debt in full, and God shouted amen when he raised him from the dead. He declared him as the sinless Lord. And so the only thing for you to do is what Abraham did, and that is he believed. And once he was saved by faith, he's a man who continued to live by faith. Now, how can we apply this text to our lives today? Let me make three simple applications as we close. I learned, first of all, that when we walk by faith like Abraham, we will claim God's promises. When we walk by faith like Abraham, we will claim God's promises. Now, someone took the time to count all the promises in the Bible, and they came up with 7,474. I don't intend to verify that. Though I've seen enough promise books out there, some that are poorly done because they're taking promises that have nothing to do with us or even some of the people in the Old Testament. Some promises have great specificity and they're given to a particular people or, or nation or a person. But there are thousands of promises in the Word of God that apply to all of God's people in every age. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument, maybe they counted wrong or they took some that didn't apply to us and there's 3,000 promises that we can claim. How many of you claim this week? Remember, without faith, without taking God at his word, it's impossible to please him. Abraham had a promise that was ringing in his ears. Abraham, you're going to have a baby. You and Sarah both are going to have a baby. And this baby is going to be the progenitor, the son of promise, from whom will become a descendant who will bless all the peoples of the world. And he believes God. That's how faith comes. Paul says, we'll study it in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. You never had faith, I never had faith. No one has ever had faith apart from the Word of God. Granted, not everyone in every age had a written Bible like we have. And so, as the writer of the Hebrews says, it was given in many portions and in many ways. 
But listen, one of the reasons there are so many weak churches in our day is because the pulpits are so weak. They're no longer teaching and preaching the Word of God. And yet, if the Bible is the seed that brings about faith, if the Bible is the food that grows us, and it's not being taught, you're going to have weak people. Granted, there are other churches that teach and preach the Word of God, but the people go home and they mix it with filth. And it finds no room to sprout and to develop in an individual's life. Listen, I've never seen a strong Christian who has not first had a sincere, committed relationship to the Holy Bible. Now, I've seen people who are strong in emotion, especially adolescent Christians. But I've never seen someone strong in faith unless they know God's Word. Suppose you come to me and you say, oh, Pastor Brogy, I'm so weak. I'm just so, I'm just so weak. I look at my hand, it's, it, it's trembling. And my, my eyesight, it, it's blurred. I, I could barely get my leg out of bed today. I'm just so weak and I don't know what's wrong with me. Man, you look bad. Did you eat today? No, I never eat. Except on Sunday mornings when you're preaching, then I just eat a little bit. What do you suppose is wrong with me? Why do you suppose I'm so sick? It's no mystery, friend. You, you need to get a good meal underneath your belt. Christian people come to me and they say, oh, Pastor Carl, I'm so weak as a Christian. I'm always defeated. It's up and down. I'm all over the map. Oh, my, my home is not what it should be. My marriage is not what it should be. My ministry, I'm just so weak. Oh, Pastor Carl, what do you suppose is wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with some of you. The only time you come to the trough is on Sunday morning when I open the Word of God. And that's it. And during the week, when your meditation should be the Word of God day and night, you're not in it. Some of you woke up this morning and you asked your wife where your Bible was and it was precisely where you left it last Sunday. Oh, but you'll get done what's important to you. There's a ball game, and I'm going to get that ball game, and we're going to get there in time, and we're going to set it up, and we're going to have our cookout, and we're going to have a big time. But Sunday morning, you're too tired to come and be in church. Some people don't even come to church consistently. Don't tell me again, oh, where were you last week? Missed you. Oh, we had folks in from out of town. You know how it is. No, I don't know how it is. Why don't you tell your folks from out of town, listen, it's our practice on the Lord's Day to go to be with God's people. You're welcome to come with us, but if you don't want to come, we understand it completely. We'll meet you after church. And yet some of us, man, we, we, we don't open the Bible during the week. And we're weak, sick people. And it's our own fault. And some of you, you're, you're trying to mix the Word of God with filth day after day, and you're wondering why you're so weak. It doesn't work. And we need to start drinking. We need to start claiming. We need to start earnestly like a newborn baby that sucks milk to go after the pure, unadulterated Word of God. So number one, when we walk by faith like Abraham, we claim the promises of God. Number two, when we walk by faith, we, we trust God's timing. We trust his timing. Now remember, this couple had to wait a long time before God fulfilled their promise. They never dreamed it would take 25 years. We know that because they tried to make it happen sooner thinking it was the will of God to pull it off through Hagar. 
But their experience is a reminder to us all that when God gives a promise, we need to claim it no matter how long it takes to fulfill. That God doesn't operate on our appointment book, on our timetable. We operate on His. And some of you, God gave you a promise. And you just stopped believing Him. Because it hasn't happened yet. And you need to be refreshed with that rhetorical question that we ask. Is anything too difficult for God? And sometimes when you're in God's waiting room, for God to pull it off at just the right time, the devil will convince you with his fiery darts that God doesn't care, that God's not going to do what he has shown you. And we need to trust God's timing because he is sovereign. Third and finally, when we walk by faith, we will grow in hope. We'll grow in hope. And hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. Without becoming weak in faith, he grew in faith. It was hopeless. But he believed God anyway. Listen, had not Abraham taken the first step where he leaves Ur of Chaldee to go to a place, then down in Haran, God would never be able to say, I'll make you a father of many nations. And had he not down in Haran believed that promise, God would never have come to him and said, Abraham, from your old body, I'm going to give you a baby. And had he not believed that, then he never would have believed that from Sarah's dead womb, God was going to give a baby. And had he not believed that, he would never have taken Isaac up there on Mount Moriah. He goes up that mountain, he's going to kill that boy. But there's a ram caught in the thicket. He's got a crown of thorns around him. And he becomes a beautiful picture of what God is going to do. But Abraham was going to kill him. It was a completed decision, the New Testament tells us, by the Hebrew verb that's used. It was as good as done. He was going to thrust a knife through his chest. And he was going to burn him to ashes. But he said, no, we're leaving and we're coming back because he believed God was going to raise him out of the ash because that's where he got him to begin with, out of the deadness of Sarah's womb. And when you respond to what you know, you grow and your faith grows and your hope grows, your certainty that God will do that which he has promised. Some of us are here this morning as believers and hopelessness governs us more than hope. And we need to learn some lessons from Abraham. And some of us are here who are unsaved. And you say, well, I have hope. Well, it's a false hope because if you don't do it God's way, it's meaningless. You say, then I guess I have no hope. That's right, you have no hope. We're not to grieve like those who have no hope. Lost people have no hope. They have no hope of God, no hope of Christ, no hope of heaven. They have no hope at all, the Bible says. But God offers them hope. He says, receive my son, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and then you'll have real, certain, eternal, guaranteed hope. To listen again to today's study, part one of The Faith of Father Abraham, use the Search the Scriptures app available from the iTunes Store and Google Play Store, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org and look up program ROM20. Tomorrow we'll move into Romans chapter 5 
and experience rejoicing in God. Join us then as we search the scriptures.